Hey guys, welcome to the next chapter. I'm Prim Saripapat. Today's guest, he's a former ESPN colleague of mine, now a current colleague at The Athletic. He's an amazing reporter, NBA writer, famous podcaster, husband to Allie, father to Asher, author of his new book, The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ethan Strauss. Ethan, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing well. I feel like the tables have turned that when I when I thought this might be an audio interview, I felt quite comfortable. But you've done all this work on TV. Uh, you know how to do it. Now I'm now I'm in a panic. I, you know, I, which camera do I look at? Oh, yeah, it's the one on my laptop. OK, OK, let's go. Let's do it. That's silly at the thought of you panicking at anything. I can't see you panicking nah, at anything. I would panic. Um, I was panicked. I, I don't want to derail you, but did you ever have this happen? You probably had the. Um, God, I'm even forgetting the terminology. Is it ISB? Whatever they put in your yeah, ear. The IFB. Yeah, yeah. IFB. The IFB. Yeah. I was doing a hit uh, for Sports Center at a game during that 73 win crazy season in Minnesota, and I just remember it fell out during it, and I had to fake my way through. Uh, just no the way. Last minute of it. It was terrifying. <laughs> Holy cow! That, so for those that don't know, your your IFB is actually like your headphones. So that's yeah. where you can hear the broadcast and also the producers typically cue you to do something. Um, well, I guess if you're in the middle of a of a live shot, you don't want to reach back because you're afraid to disturb yeah. anything. Um, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, maybe you might need some tape next time, but you don't have to worry well, about that here because you have big, yeah, big blue I, I, headphones. We, we just don't have to be fake in general. I think I said something because the trick with TV and cable news as well, if you notice, is that there's no punishment for avoiding whatever the question is, especially <laughs> in a non-debate format. You could just say whatever, theoretically. And I think I just went, yep, you know, it's a big game. They're all geared up. And uh, and whatever piece of news is on my mind, just, That's... you know, wait for the image of the Sports Center anchor's lips to stop moving. And then I can just theoretically say anything and I'm home free at that point. Oh so my God, that's, that's a hilarious. For all of you. I've actually never heard that before. I mean, would, would the producers not call you eventually and be like, hey, you didn't really answer the question? Or do you I'm not get that at all? <laughs> no, I'm sure that you could go too far with it. I'm sure if you kept doing it, it could become an issue. But in a pinch, I mean, basically what we're trying to do is fill time in a lot of these scenarios, whether I'm on a radio hit, uh, whether I've done a TV hit. And you can maybe even begin with whatever they talked about and say, yes, you know, that's very important. That's a major part of the story. But the main thing to realize, and you can just kind of hit your little stump speech and then just get back to get back on message. Well, I'm hoping you don't evade any of my questions. So mm, <laughs> my next see. question would have been, um, how are you handling the pandemic? Because I know you're in the Bay Area and other than New York City, that is the second potentially worst place to be right now. Mm. Um. I mean, as far as I know, I'm handling it well. Uh, it's this strange it's this strange thing where you miss things and it's frustrating, but you have a recognition that you have it better than other people. Mm. Um, and there are also some aspects that are more gratifying and fulfilling than is normal. I mean, it doesn't feel sustainable. And I miss being able to concentrate on things for uh, a longer period of time and outside of Asher's nap window. Um, but you're, you also, and you're probably getting a little bit of this, you start to see them grow up in a way that you wouldn't if, uh, yes. there was more of a division of labor. And so that part, that part's really good. And so I think we're managing, I like seeing this much of my wife and my son a lot. Um, again, for me, the main thing that I miss is just having way more time to focus and think about things. Yeah. That's, that's what I miss most of all. 
So, I mean, what what does a basketball writer do when there's no basketball? <laughs> um, well, I just wrote about the NBA's deal with Microsoft, so you can focus on the future in this abstract way. I've written a lot about the NBA draft because that's still off in the distance, and fans still like to think about the future and like to think that this is just a little holdup and they'll still have all the things they're used to. And I like thinking about the draft. So mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of draft, but I mean, to be frank with you, I'm really going to have to sit down and think about it and strategize. I'm going through this big uh, book launch and, you know, pushing out the book and I've written a bunch of draft articles, but I don't think that I can just write about the NBA draft um, twice a week. So (laughs) I'm going to have to get creative, think about it. Okay. How do I, how do I provide something people want to read in this crazy interregnum? And I think that's going to be a weekend project actually like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Mm -hmm. The book thing, Uh, that's, that's for me. I've got to figure out a way to serve the readers at the athletic and do a good job of it. So that will be a focus. Yeah. And speaking of your new book, congratulations. You must be so excited. The victory machine, um, for those who haven't read it. Yeah. Showcase it. I got, I got, I got got to do this. Let's see it. Yeah. Okay. How cool, how excited are you to just to hold that book in your hand and say like, this thing is finally done. Uh, you would think so, but the book is actually about how um, you never find happiness uh, when you succeed. And so true to form, I've only been a bundle of anxiety. Um, and, and in fact, my wife said to me a few days ago that she it, it was sad to her that I never said I was proud of myself, um, which was true. And that actually that caused me to take a little that caused me to take a little pause and um Go, you know what? I, I should feel better about this and I shouldn't be so anxious. And the book seems to be doing well. And, you know, thanks to Jade and readers mm-hmm. for ordering, you know, Jade for putting out that crazy awesome trailer. That was so good. Ordering it. And it's been number one in sports. So for I think a week and, you know, it's hey, I just wanted not to bomb. So I am very happy with it. And even though there are these moments where I go, oh, I wish I put this in there. I wish I put that in the book, blah, 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 blah. That's never going to go away. Um, in my saner moments, I'm very happy about it. Uh, you should definitely take a moment to pat yourself on the back. Um, because it, writing a book is very, very, very difficult. I think a lot of people like to simplify the process, but it is not easy. It is not an easy thing to do. So explain some of the highs and lows of going through the process of writing this. Well, I think to what you're saying, a lot of the difficulty just comes from unfamiliarity Mm -hmm. where almost like applying to buy a house or getting a a mortgage where all the paperwork and everything else, you just have no idea what you're supposed to do. You're, you have no idea. You've never been through it before. It seems very intimidating. And so I think a lot of just the process is really intimidating of, Mm -hmm. wait, do we, do we shop it around and I'm supposed to write something that isn't the book, but is a little part of the book to kind of pitch it. And then after that, just, I didn't know the very basics of how it goes and Mm -hmm. what your interaction with your editor is like and at what point does it need to be done versus when it comes out and um all of these things i think were so intimidating that i probably didn't get to the process quick enough um in general and so now there's this almost relief of knowing and i'm excited to write another book i really didn't get through this process thinking yeah I, i didn't get through this process thinking oh my God, I'll never do that again. I lost years of my life. Um, It was difficult because 
there is an element of not wanting to cheat the regular readers um, mm. and also have new material in the book. And I think Marcus Thompson also went through that. And that was really tough. But yeah, I come on the other I come out on the other side of this more of the mentality of, OK, you're going to do something the second time in a more streamlined way than the first time for anything. And now I have the mentality of I, I know how to do this. I know how it goes. Mm. I know the ropes of it. And I'm excited for whenever the next opportunity will come up. I think, I think you know, most everybody knows the gist of it, but I want to hear in your words just what you want people to take away from it, just the general gist of the, of the book and also what you want people to take away from it. Well, initially I wanted them to take away that it was just, it was just interesting and they could get a sense of what the feeling of the NBA behind the scenes is actually like and how – tough it is and Darwinian it is. And also there's an absence of, of happiness, which almost stokes the competition in a way. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, when I look back on it, I think what I want them to take from it is that you're not going to find your happiness in your professional success. You know, you might find a, an ego boost here or there. You might get something uh, fulfilling or edifying from achieving a goal alongside other people, but you will not get sustaining happiness. And that doesn't mean that it's completely impossible to get or that fulfillment is impossible to get. I, I think that it just comes from thinking about other people and giving towards other people. Not everybody has to have a family, but I think at least for me, I'm assuming for you, mm -hmm. that is the source of a lot of meaning and fulfillment. And so those are the places that you are going to get um, your sustained happiness, maybe happiness is illusory. Let's call it fulfillment. You're going to get your fulfillment. It is not going to be, it is not going to be, if you look at these guys who at the top of the mountain, the height of professional success, it did not sustain their happiness throughout their lives. And I think that's the lesson from this book. That's so interesting. I was not prepared for that answer. I thought you were going to, it was going to be a more, more basketball centered, uh, focused answer. And I know you, what you do so well in your job is just giving everybody a behind the scenes look into the MBA. Um, but I've always been somebody, especially with this show and the intersection with psychology, I love using sports as a great analogy for life. And, um, mm -hmm. one of the bigger messages when I'm talking to athletes is sport is not what you do or it's a, it's what you do, but it's not who you are. And it sounds like that's yeah. some of the message that you're trying to convey as well. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that. And look, it's nice. It's good to be good at what you do. That also feels good, even if it's mm -hmm. maybe temporary and it feeds your family in many cases. Um, and so it's important to be able to buy things and it feels good to build things and it feels good to achieve. Um, I'm not discounting that at all. It just can't become the all-consuming, myopic mm -hmm. focus of your life. Michael Jordan, maybe he's happy now, but at the time Wright Thompson wrote that article about him in 2014, he was clearly miserable, yeah. just completely miserable. And if Michael Jordan could be miserable, um, I think that shows you that there's no level of success that prevents one from being miserable. And also success comes in the public sphere for these athletes yeah. with a whole lot of other ugly other things that you wouldn't have expected that might make them more cynical. So uh, something I take away from the book is I'm just glad I'm not famous. Um, it just <laughs> seems like it's terrible right now uh, to be famous. Seems awful. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's something that I, that's, I've learned a lot in talking with some of these athletes. A lot of it has to do with primarily the money. I think um, the fame and the money mm. and people knowing how much they make, which is such a weird 
it's such an oddity if you yeah. think about it. Like for you and I, for the most part, our numbers aren't out there for public. And I think I was talking to Josh Childress and he said that's just the the toughest thing that he had to deal with um, was everybody mm. knowing how much he made. But, you know, with with all that you do and especially with this book, I was curious about how you do your job as an investigative writer and reporter and how do you maintain the relationships with the people that you are doing a story on, especially when you have to push the envelope a little bit and step on some people's toes to reveal the truth? Um, you just try to keep lines of communication open. And honestly, a lot of the job is just getting yelled at after the fact. Um, <laughs> it's to be present when somebody has an issue with you. It doesn't feel good when somebody has an issue with you. But if they want to have it out, you cannot run from it. You mm. have to have that conversation. Uh, you have to take that call. And so that's a lot of it is just seeming like it wasn't a hit and run and you're still here and you had your reasons for doing what you did. Um, but yeah, that's the, my least favorite part of the job. I think it's the least favorite part of the job for anybody who is doing whatever it is I do. And I'm not like a formally trained anything, to be clear. It sounds strange to say I'm a journalist, you know, especially in this era, there are a lot of people in media who are attaching a romance and a nobility to journalism that, um, I mean, maybe that's important for them. And maybe it's true in the case of many journalists. I, I look at myself as somebody who talks about a sphere flying at a ring, uh, just men <laughs> throwing a sphere at a ring um, and just writing interesting nonfiction stories about it. Uh, I don't attach a tremendous amount of importance to what I do, I guess I, I should say. I huh. just look at myself as um, an entertainer, a, a nonfiction entertainer, a, a nonfiction clown, as it were. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're so good at what you do is because you don't <laughs> you don't place too much importance on it. I mean, it is, it, you know, if we're using a, a sports analogy, I think some of the best athletes in the world are able to maintain that focus and that level of intensity where they can turn it on and off, where if you place too much importance on what you do, that's when you end up kind of yeah. choking and, you know, burning out or well, not performing as well as you'd like. And I wouldn't compare myself to Steve Kerr or to Greg Popovich, but I just remember Kerr was talking about that, where they had to take what they were doing extremely seriously, but also know it's total bullshit. <laughs> and that's the line that they that they walk, that yeah. at some level, Greg Popovich knows he is almost above all this and thinks it's silly. Um, but at the same time, he's taking what he's doing tremendously seriously. I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to do the best job I can do. I hope that maybe it inspires somebody in an important way or helps them think about happiness in a deeper way or maybe leads them to want to write about a subject that's worth covering. But just the inherent just inherently what I do is just not that it's just not that important. I mean, I just I, I write about sports. It's fun. It's the as Pat Riley said, the toy department of human events. <laughs> I love Pat, Pat Riley. Um, so since the show is about life transitions and pivotal moments, what would be next for you beyond sport? Wow. What would be next beyond sport? Um, I've got an interest in the region and the crazy characters within it. And it seems like what I do is a bit of an entry point into it where mm -hmm. some of these uh, tech lords, uh, the polarizing tech lords, uh, know who I am because they're Warriors fans. And I've always wondered... Could there be a book that covers aspects of that world, maybe in a way that dovetails with sports, 
maybe in a way that doesn't, but that is an area of interest. And maybe that's something down the line that I'll write about, um, these particular masters of the universe in my backyard. That's really good. I like that because you're right next to Silicon Valley. So that would make a lot of sense. Um, very cool. Well, Ethan, we always like to end the segment with a little fun bit, and this might be the toughest part of the interview. Are you ready? You're looking around your house like, <laughs> what is, wait, wait, wait. So <laughs> like what do you want me to say? So okay, messy. let's do a the little. Boy was cra- the boy was crazy today. Yeah, okay. just blame okay. it on your two-year-old. Who cares? Yes, yes. All right. He just let- throws, he throws things everywhere. I hear yeah. you. <laughs> I hear you. Our, our guy is several months behind. So, all right, let's do a little quarantine cribs. Number one, where is your comfort spot in your house or apartment? Um, it's in the garage, actually. That's where I write, where I tend to write in the um, in the summer months. Winter, it's a little oh, too wow. cold. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's downstairs. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's particularly interesting, but I think that's one comfort spot. The other comfort spot is the kitchen. And I was about to clean it. It looks so bad. There's like a, an old milk jug right now on it. Let's see if I can carry yeah. the mic. Feel free. We like to do a little show and tell and go for a little journey. So messy right now, dude. Okay, so. And see this milk jug? See all this stuff on the kitchen block? Yeah. Oh, I, just, I just made some barley, kind of barley sort of So healthy. Sort of thing, Good right? for you. Well, you're yeah. a great cook. Well, Oh, I, I try. I've been making a lot of carbonara recently. And, uh, you Lovely. know, yeah, it's just, you can see it's just a total mess right now. You got the sous vide over here. But my porch, I do like my porch. I do. That's another comfort choice. I do like the porch. I don't know if you're getting a good view of everything. Oh, yeah, but, I am. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it's a beautiful day out here in the Bay Area. Ugh, I'm so um, jealous. Here in yeah, New York City, it's like cloudy and raining right now. Yeah, so you got a little. Uh, you know, you got the neighbors and, um, hey, neighbors. yeah, yeah, we, we've got uh, some neighbors who have, they've got three kids and they've got a big trampoline. So sometimes you, you know, see the kids over there. I think that's probably the next phase for Asher. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, there, I love it. There, there you go. And forgive the, forgive the mess. It's actually, I, I really don't think it's messy. Uh, I, at least maybe if you point it to the ground, it might be, but you don't have to do that for us. If it's not crazy messy, you have to pretend that it's. <laughs> Hey, while you're up, I hate to make you go back there, but do you have a comfort food in all of this? Do you have something that you like to snack on? Uh, I like boom chicken pot popcorn. Um, although they, they, they don't have the white cheddar. That's uh, but yeah, and they're not aiming for it. Oh, those. I was like, what did you say? Boom chicken pop pop? I, I've never said it out loud, but now that you showed it to me, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what? I tried buying that off Amazon and it was all gone. Apparently, it's really popular. By the way, Ethan, don't forget to hold up the mic. Sorry to make you uh, um, uh, do multitasking. <laughs> uh, I know. Let's see, let's see if I have anything in the fridge. Yeah, what do you have in your fridge? What does Ethan the chef have in his fridge? Well, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, right I'm making you do all <laughs> sorts of crazy stuff. Feeling this coordination test. Okay. How do I do this properly? Um, so I just got. Uh, 
a lot of ribs from the local butcher shop oh, in, uh, yum. in Berkeley. It's called the local butcher shop. That's literally what it's called. Uh, so I'm excited about this. Maybe I'll marinate overnight. It's Boston butt is on the, the, the label of it. Oh, huh. yeah. I guess that's a, I guess that's a thing. Um, yum. And additionally, what I'm excited about as I try to do this all properly, uh, my friend delivered some sort of Sichuan seasoning, um, you know, sort of a Sichuan chili crisp. Kind oh. of, uh, yeah. Right there. And, uh, a dumpling sauce. So these things are going to get applied. Maybe they're going to get applied to the ribs if I'm really creative about it. That so, looks good. That looks like some high tech sauce there. The thing I'm burning through is just this, uh, grated, uh, you know, parm rag right here. Just oh. because I've been making so much carbonara recently. I never made carbonara before, but now I get a sense that it's not so hard. It's just about the timing of it. And Asher loves it. And sorry, the mic is a little bit away now. You're good. Asher loves it. And so, uh, yeah. Um, ah. I love so, it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you get the timing right, you whisk some eggs together, some yolks together, uh, throw in, uh, mix in the parm reg or some sort of grated cheese, some black pepper, throw it onto the pasta after the pasta is effectively done, um, and you time it up right, you've got a delicious uh, carbonara. And you should probably have some sort of pork fat in there, too. I mean, look, there are recipes. You can find it. Bottom line is you can do it in eight to ten minutes. That uh, I feel like um, a cookbook might be in your future, potentially, or something in cooking. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I don't think so. I, you know, I always had an interest in cooking. And um, when I was young, I would I would make pasta from scratch. I was really? super into it. I would. Yeah. When I was 10, 11, 12, I was, I was into it. And my my aunt, my mom's twin sister actually went to San, San Francisco Culinary Academy and uh, was a was a chef for a while. But she had scared me uh, just how brutal the profession is how hard it is yeah. that i never actually ended up wanting to do it it just seems it just seems too hard it seems yes. too hard to be a cook it does it does um do you have any advice for staying sane through all of this some quick advice oh advice for staying sane for the parents of kids in our age range daniel tiger seems to be a, a show that works really well daniel uh, tiger Daniel Tiger. Okay, I haven't um, tried that out. I'll have to try yeah, that. Yeah, it's got a great theme song. Well, it's really just taken from the Mr. Rogers theme song. Apparently, oh. Daniel Tiger was a character of Mr. Rogers, and it's a spinoff cartoon. But I think oh. that's very helpful. That's helpful to the parents out there. But beyond that, that, I don't think I have any good advice for maintaining sanity. Really? Uh, Allie, have we stayed sane? <laughs> get outside, you say? Okay, get outside. There you go. All get right, that, that's but good. At a safe but at a safe distance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get outside as long as it's six feet away from everybody. Um, and is there anybody that you would like to tag next to be interviewed? Who would you like to tag? Oh, man. Um, I still, I had a bunch of thoughts. Who would be the person who, who, who to tag? Oh, my God. I have a couple. Well, okay. Okay, no, no. I want to. I want to hear. I want to hear your ideas for this because I well, had a few. Like, in, like GMs popped into my mind, but then I thought about, you know, the people at ESPN. I never got yeah. a chance to hear from who I'd want to know about. 
Um, because obviously, look, Stephen A. Smith. I mean, he'd be hard oh. to get. I'm assuming, but that would be somebody I would like to hear. Yeah, I'd like to hear an interview. Well, he and I. I mean, we we actually worked together a few times on first yeah. take, and he's actually off camera. He's quiet and very calm and very kind. But then when he, mm. when you put the mic in front of him, so I don't I don't know. I wonder what he well, would be I like. See, I'm I'm interested in aspects of his personality. Mm. I'm interested in his love of General Hospital. Uh, he is a fixture in this house as the character of Brick. I don't know anything about GH, but Allie has watched GH forever and her mom, uh, her mom does as well. So <laughs> I'd be curious about that. I'd be just okay. curious about a lot of Stephen A. Smith things, but he might okay. be hard to get. He, yeah. I don't know. Um, who is somebody who is a bit more get, well, now I'm insulting them by saying they're gettable, <laughs> you know? Wait, I was going to say somebody within the True Hoop family. Uh, oh, within, the true, within the True Hoop family. That's immediately uh, my... Black, Black Trey has always been I love Black Trey. Yes. Agreed. Uh, and I think uh, I, I, there are a lot of aspects I need to know. I need to know more. That's, that's who I'm tagging. I'll okay. tag Black Trey. That's a good one. I love it. I love how you're keeping it in the family. All right, Ethan. We're going to let you go. Thank you so much for coming on. Seriously, congratulations on your book as my son and everybody is coming in. I, that's my... That's time for me to go. Everybody go get Ethan's book and do me a favor... Take five minutes tonight to just pat yourself on the back, have a glass of wine, and treat yourself because it's a really big accomplishment for real. Thank you so much. Uh, Have fun with Duke. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. (laughs)